Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Biggest thing I can say is this power is power in numbers. Um, a lot of people in, in the music industry and in the arts industry seem to have a crab in a barrel theory is I got to make it before everybody else does or else I miss my opportunity. And I think that when you have these young millennials that are coming to a point where they're trying to figure out what it is they do, it's better when you kind of link up with a friend and say, hey, what do you think about this move? And what do you, maybe you can help cultivate and create. And it's power numbers. The more people you have that you can align to, to, to see your vision or you see their vision, the better we are, the more successful, uh, you, the more successful you can become. Can become. So the question is this, how do thought leaders, school dropouts, former and current students find out what's next after they do or don't cross that stage? If you want to know the secrets to starting the career or business of your dreams, getting paid whatever you desire, and discovering what you do the best with the least amount of effort, then this is the right podcast for you. I'm Sean Anthony, and this is School's Over. Now what? The podcast. Welcome back to School's Over, Now What the Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Anthony. Guys, I'm excited for this episode, but before we get all into that, first off, if this is your very first time listening to the show, I just want to welcome you. And if you're listening to this show, hopefully someone has highly recommended it to you or you stumbled across it. But each and every single week, we have been consistently bringing you some inspiring messages or some people that are going to help you answer the question we all have asked ourselves at some point. And that school's over. Now what? And the response that we have been getting ever since we launched this podcast back in June of last year has been crazy. Each and every single week, thousands of people have listened to this show. Hundreds of people have poured in and just personally told us how much this show has impacted them in their business and also help impact them in their life. And most importantly, improve their mindset that they can then get out of the question and they can figure out what's next and focus on what's truly important. And that's providing value, adding impact and discovering who they are as a person. With that being said, I want to kick it off as always with the review of the week. And the review of the week comes from Lisa. And Lisa wrote, there is nothing more authentic than to have a leader in our community cultivate an environment for sharing through personal experiences, the failures, learnings, and success. This podcast is a beautiful display 
of how the power of vulnerability and inclusion can positively impact your life for that better. You want to build discipline and engage in provocative dialogues? Then subscribe to this podcast. Lisa, I appreciate you. And anyone else feeling that exact same way, we would be nowhere at all without you. With that being said, I want to jump into like the reason you click this episode today. And our guest is none other than Mims. You know, the guy who has the hottest song back in 2007. It actually went to number one on the Billboard charts. This guy's a multi-platinum artist with the hit single, This Is Why I'm Hot. And this episode is so crazy because if you've been following up, we recently went out to New York and we vlogged the whole thing. And I'll make sure the vlog is in the show notes. We recently was in New York and we did this interview in person with Mems and the energy was just on another level. If you've been following me for a while, I promise you guys, we're going to give you higher level interviews, more content, but we're going to impact people and we're going to go straight to the source. And what Mems talks about in this interview is something that I think a lot of us tend to forget. He's someone who made it to the highest of the charts and had to figure out what to do next. And as he went through this whole entire phase, he also realized the importance and the power in numbers, the importance of having the support from your own community. And after this interview, and off camera, he said something to me that I've gotten a lot. Of, I've gotten a lot of feedback from a lot of different people, but he said something that personally touched me. And he talked about how anytime I hop on the mic, anytime I'm doing a podcast or am I being interviewed or someone's booked me for a speaking gig, which they already have and they will continue to do for the year, I need to proudly state and be happy about I am a minority in this space and to not be afraid to say that because it's going to take us to all support each other you know if you're the only person doing this and very few black males are hopping on a podcast right now and trying to inspire and lift people up don't be afraid to talk about it if you're doing something right now and you know your friends say okay that's kind of odd don't be afraid to say you know what I don't care what you think. This is what I like to do, and I'm going to do it. But most importantly, your same minority, your same people who look like you should support you. It's okay to support each other. And this is a very diverse podcast, and I'm proud of that. But what I would like to see is more people supporting each other. We also talk about in this particular interview. The importance of what you should and should not do in the music industry. This guy is still on tour. 24 hours prior to doing this interview, he was overseas in Italy in front of thousands. So it's important to also take in the knowledge of what you should do and what you should not do. But Mims is much more than just an artist. This guy has one of the hottest apps right now, the Creator app. This is an award-winning mobile studio and social network app that allows artists to create original music and collaborate with award-winning producers. Guys, this guy's a black tech entrepreneur. Listen up. Grab a pencil or a pen. Grab whatever is near you right now at this very moment. Make sure that you have paper in hand. Get ready 
for episode 37 with multi-platinum artist Mims. Yo, I'm here at School's Over Now with the podcast, here with the one and only Sean Mims, man. What's going on, man? How you doing? Everything's everything, man. It's a, a cold day in New York City right now, so you know. For sure. Freezing. For sure, man. Cool. Fre- freezing is an understatement. I'm from North Carolina, man. We ain't used to this type of weather, man. Hey, no, I, trust me. I mean, it could be worse because we could be in Chicago right now. Oh, that's for so, sure. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, man, like, like a lot of people that are watching this right now, they know about you. You had the number one hottest album, hottest song on the billboards back in 07, man. Yeah. How did it all start for you? Ooh, that's a long story. Um, I'll try to summarize it as much as I can so I won't bore the listeners. But um, I got into music when I was young. So around 13 years old, I started off. Uh, my, my mother actually purchased me a set of turntables uh, shortly after. She actually passed away maybe about two or three months after purchasing these turntables. And um, for me, that was kind of like my refuge. Like DJing became my refuge where, you know, I would kind of like focus my energy since, since she was no longer here. And um, so it's funny. I was just telling this story yesterday. I, I, I was in Italy, and I was telling the story. Someone asked the same question. Um, when you're a DJ, back then you DJed on vinyl, so you didn't have Serato. So I would play. Uh, records would come with a, uh, you know, A side and a B side. A side would be uh, clean, uh, main pass, clean pass, and then the, the B side would have the instrumental. So I used to play a lot of instrumentals, blend a lot of lyrics together, and then before you know it, I was kind of like rapping to the instrumentals and then I wanted to be a producer and then it became no one was there to, to rap on my music so I had to rap on my own music so yeah. I mean the transition into music was really started with love and then uh, ultimately it just became me wanting to learn how to do every single thing that mu- that the creative process required so from being a hip hop artist to a producer uh, even down to engineering and stuff like that. So you know. it's crazy, man. So you're 13 years old, man. You're going mm-hmm. through all these different things. Like, what was one of the most biggest lessons like your mom ever taught you? Uh, probably plenty. I think the biggest thing um, was just kind of how she lived, her spirit, like the way she lived. She lived very free spirited. So she, she, you know, if she, if it was something that she wanted to do, she did it. She didn't hesitate on it. And I think that uh, for me, growing up as a 13 year old, when when you uh, when you lose a parent, because I actually lost my father when I was 11, but he didn't raise me. So when you lose your parent at 13 years old, that's kind of like a, a, a transition where, for me, at that age, where I had to like instantly become a man. I had to kind of instantly say, you know what? I can no longer think like a boy or a teenager. I gotta think like someone who's, you know, already kind of pushed out into the world. So I think the free-spirited aspect of her uh, kind of gave me a different outlook to say, look, man, tomorrow's not promised. So, you know, you got to kind of enjoy the moment, love today, which could get you in trouble depending on what, you, what you're doing. Yeah. But for the most part, it's kind of kept me grounded enough to know that, uh, you know, I've been to the top of the mountain, I've been to the bottom of the mountain, and as long as I'm living in the moment and enjoying what I'm doing now, I'm happy about it. Man, that's for sure, man. That's yeah. real and that's love. So, like, you're going through, like, the teenage years. You're finding this passion for music. Like, when was it for you that, you know, everything started to click? You're like, I might be able to do something with this. You know what? It's crazy. Um, I think high school played a really big role in, in, um, in like, cultivating me as a businessman, as a musician. And I think uh, if I could remember back, and I remember the single, probably the single most event that, that uh, pushed me there was um, I remember being in high school and, you know, I kind of had, like, a 
for lack of better words, like a puffy mentality where yeah. I wanted to be the person that organized this rapper to work with this producer and this person to kind of work together. And, you know, it got to the point where I did pretty decently. Like, I got a few cats in, in the high school, the local high school, to kind of work amongst each other. And it, it felt like uh, like like I was running my own organization even then. Um, and it wasn't until one of, one of my, my friends, even part of the rap group, said, look, man, you're actually really good at rapping. You should try to pursue that more than than putting the business together and I'm like okay we're gonna try it out and then you know uh, there was a very long period of being a starving artist so I think from like 18 all the way up to like 25 years old 24, 25 years old that was a, a starving artist period where you know I, I, I did uh, a year in college after high school I didn't know kind of what to pursue because I wanted to pursue music so um, so that period was not not the easiest but but obviously fruitful in the end. Definitely. So there's a lot of people listening to this right now that want to get started in the music industry. Yeah. And a lot of people in that age range on this podcast, 18 to 25, what's the biggest advice you can get somebody right now that wants to get their name out there, you know, and reach the heights on the charts like you have? Um, I would say this, and you got to go into it with, with, with uh, passion for what you're doing because uh, nothing is promised, especially not in this business. Um, and I say passion based solely on the fact that um, yes, uh, what I did was I made sure I was everywhere I needed to be. I made sure I networked with everyone I needed to network with. Um, it was never a question if somebody said, you know, I don't, and, I, and I manage artists now, and I'm sure we can get into that, but when I, when I talk to my artists now that I manage, I tell them, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you know, you can't, you got to be proactive. You can't wait for someone to say, hey, you need to be there and you need to be there. I had to, you know, wake up and, and I still live that way. I had to, if I got to be somewhere, I'm there. If I got to shake a hand, I'm there. If, if it was never a question about recording music because I had the liberty of recording in my own home. So uh, you just got to be proactive. If, you, if you're out there and you want to pursue a career in music, um, just try to do as much as you can uh, without having people tell you what to do, you know. Uh, that's the best advice. And there's a lot more to that, but, you know. Definitely. So, like, is that, like, proper, like, business etiquette? Like, I know a lot of people in that age range, they just want to go to these big labels and just show up. Like, what's some of the best yeah. business etiquette you can pretty much say we, that you should do out here? Um, so, it's funny because because I, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite um, when it comes to the business part of it. But, uh, but I think that the problem we have nowadays is that we have a lot of young individuals who think, okay, I can be a certain way, and then I'm gonna get a record deal. And once I get the record deal, everything else is is gonna, you know, be awesome for my career. The reality is that that's usually not the case. Um, these record labels and a lot of these uh, CEOs or A and Rs, they've been pretty much involved in, you know, doing foul play to artists for years. So, of course, from an educational standpoint, I always recommend that, that before you get involved in any uh, type of business uh, uh, or any space in the music industry. You got to understand contractually what you're signing, what you're giving up. Um, and, and I give an example, and I always tell people this. If I told you, um, and I guess I asked this question too, if I told you that you could be a musician, but chances are, from a salary standpoint, you're probably, probably gross the same amount as someone working at McDonald's would, would you still do it? Probably not. And, and most people, that's the answer to the question, because when they put the thought process in, they're saying, well... I see all these rappers on television, all these singers, and they driving fancy cars. And but the reality is that that uh, you're self-employed, so so the money you make is really determined about your hustle. And and most people, 
um, oddly enough, and I don't know the statistics or numbers, but most people will never break a, a $20,000 uh, uh, in, uh, income um, gross in the music industry ever for the life of their career because that's a tough thing to do um, in this industry. Even now, even for me as a successful artist, to continuously have money coming in is not the easiest thing in the world. So how do you offset that? Like somebody also listening right now that they're going through that hard time, they're getting that McDonald's salary. Like, mm-hmm. what's your biggest advice to kind of offset and make a way that you can live? Um, I mean, I think I think it's uh, from a, it's really based on the mentality of the person. So you know, always look. My advice is always, you know, you you got to invest in yourself. So that's number one. Rule number one is is you got to invest in yourself, whether it be financially, whether it be the time. You got to be willing to put that work and time into yourself. On the flip side, you got to also kind of know your limits. So, you know, um, and the best way to put this from an analogy standpoint is if I walk in a store and I want to buy a keyboard, and I got and the keyboard is five thousand dollars, and I got five thousand dollars in my pocket, I kind of got to think about what the return on that keyboard is going get for me and if it doesn't equal up to five thousand dollars then maybe there's a substitute something i can substitute in this place so um you really kind of have to make that decision with everything you do as a musician from a successful standpoint even when you make it you still have to make those kind of decisions so um i mean yeah you definitely have to be financially responsible and and when you work a job let's say if it is mcdonald's and i'm not knocking anybody out there for having a job um you know my, my thing is uh, do it within your means. Don't try to jump the gun and, and be bigger than who you, what you know, what you can really be. Do it with everything within your means. So. Facts, man. Mm-hmm. And you gotta be really strategic about like why you're gonna do what you're gonna do. Why you're gonna make the moves that you're gonna make, mm-hmm. man. So I 100 percent agree with you and everything you just said. So you spent one year in college. Why mm-hmm. did you stop? That's tough. Um, so. Coming out of high school, uh, I, I, I like to say that I was pretty educated, an honor roll student, straight A's. Uh, you know, I did what I had to do from an educational standpoint. I made it my business, obviously, growing up uh, with my mom passing at a young age that I always kind of took this approach where she's looking down uh, at me. So I got to make sure that I represent in the proper way. So from an educational standpoint, I was always on point. Um, when it came time to kind of making the decision of whether I was going to pursue a higher education, I actually, there were programs for me as a as an orphan to the state that were presented that I could go to certain schools that are uh, somewhat Ivy League uh, based. And I decided, it's funny because I remember, and I'll name it, I remember I, uh, there's a program at Hofstra University called the NOAA program. And I remember sitting with one of the deans there and they said, well, you can enter the NOAA program, but you got to give up your summers. And I'm, you know, 18 years old. I'm pursuing music at this time. I'm, I'm, uh, I think I was traveling in between uh, New York and Toronto. Crazy. And I'm like, wait a minute. I can't. If I give up a summer for, for, you know. So my decision was, I will go to a community college in the area. I don't give up my summer, and then I'll pursue college enough to know that if that's not what I want to do within a year's time, then I'm going full fledged into the music industry. So I gave myself that decision. Um, you know. And, and I say everybody should kind of take that approach, like at least try it while you're trying to figure yourself out because higher education is not for everybody. But on the flip side, there are some people who can benefit from it, um, especially from a networking standpoint. So for me, the road I chose was I did one year in a, a community college and then I went full-fledged into just pursuing the arts and music. 
It makes sense, man. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it worked out for you. So, like, a lot of people, they, they say they want success, right? Yeah. You've had success. Mm-hmm. So, when you got success, what was one of those things that shocked you about it? How fast it comes. And, like, the process of... So, there's always this thing for me and, and, and the stigma in my career is that uh, I'm an overnight success. And people use that word a lot because, because obviously, of the way that the record that I put out took off so fast. Um, but... I usually like to kind of flip it around and say, yeah, it's an overnight success 10 years in the making. You know, and that's the reality is that you spend 10 years grinding. And then when it happens, I mean, I'm talking about rocket ship. It's gone and you're out of here. Next minute, you know, um, and I kid you not, I remember I was on the road uh, from September of 06 to March of, of 2007. And I remember stopping to like breathe for like, a, a day, because because in that time I was working, work, work nonstop, twenty five hour days, um, and uh, I remember March. I got a call from my record label, and they said the first thing they said was, you know, you know, you have the number one record in the country, and I and I I didn't even understand it. I I didn't have time to look at my bank account to see all the money I was accumulating. I didn't have time to look at the success that I had on the music side. All I knew was that tomorrow I got to go do two radio interviews in the morning, two in the afternoon, and two in the night. Um, and uh, I think, you know, when I, when I look back even now, 13 years later, removed, I mean, I'm still touring, but 13 years later from having such a successful record, time flies, man. And that process, is it went from zero to, not even 60, zero to 100,000. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So if you could slow up time, what's mm-hmm. one thing you would tell yourself? Back in 2007 now? Ooh, good question. Um, I think for me then, I was so I was so fixated on trying to make, change the lives of everybody around me. My life had already changed, and I kind of felt it. Like, at that time, you look back and you say, damn, I, I did really well for myself. I made my mother proud. I'm cool. I, I can, like, justifiably say I've changed and helped people, uh, whether it be just to have a fun time in a club or listen to something deeper um, and, and, and think on my music. Um, but I think for me, my biggest thing was trying to get the people around me to kind of feel just as successful. And that was the, also the hardest part. And I wouldn't say a downfall, but but that definitely takes your focus off of off of the successful part of it. And if I, if I make, if I say a comment and I don't want anyone to take this like I'm not appreciative or blessed, but... The, the funnest time of my career was before the money came, before the success came. That was the that was the most fun I ever had in my musical career. Everything after that was 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 the most difficult time I've ever had in my musical career. Why you say that? Uh, because because there's a guilt factor to it. Um, so I, I have a, a second album that I did called Guilt, and that's a whole nother story about how the process of working with the label was on that. But my whole process on going into that album was that I was trying to change so many people's lives around me, and I couldn't, and I felt guilty about it. I felt guilty that I was sitting there, you know, with, you know, uh, I even rapped the lyric in the song, was I would sit there and, and I would go to a shop and I can buy $1,000 shoes, but then but then I got a, a cousin that may, may be losing their home or a friend that may be getting evicted from their apartment. And, and then when it sets into you as a, as a young entrepreneur, it's like, okay, well, let me help this person. Let me help that person. Let me see how to... And it's not always about giving them money, but just even trying to teach them the gems and the jewels of being successful. And that is very difficult, man. Very difficult. 
because as you're doing those things, I can imagine, like, where the people are saying, you know what, Sean, like, hey, give me a little money for this. Give me a little money for that. Absolutely. Oh, everybody. 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 And I had cousins coming out of that I never met before. I still do have cousins that come out and say, hey, we're cousins. But, uh, you know, it's... That responsibility is uh, is a lot to kind of hand. Even me at the time, I was 25 years old at that time. So 25-year-old who came from, I would say, theoretically nothing. Um, even as a, as a young child being an orphan to the state, not having the guidance of parents. And I, I had a great family foundation. My grandmother took care of me when my mother passed. Uh, my aunt was there, you know. But, but not having that parental guidance. And then when you're getting millions of dollars put into your bank account, and the, and you and you have a heart of gold. You kind of want to help everybody through it. So yeah, so that was a, a tough time as well. So as you're going through these times, it seems like you had good people surrounding you. Absolutely. How did you identify those good people? Uh, believe it or not, when when the roller coaster starts going down, because because what happens is when it starts going down, that's when people start jumping off. And then those who stick around and stay, you start realizing that these are real friends. These are real family members. These are people who, you know, um, and, and it's weird. For me, uh, family has, like, never been a question of whether or not they've been, like, like uh, uh, genuine. And I say this because I remember um, I used to come off tour, and I, and I bought a property in Atlanta. Uh, I had an apartment in, uh, in Long Island. And, and I would still go, and i sleep on my, aunt's, uh, my aunt and my uncle's couch. In, in their house because I felt comfortable and, and, and they didn't treat me like, oh, this is a, you know, multi-platinum musician and he's sleeping on my couch. It was, hey, Sean, can you take the garbage out? Or, hey, Sean, can you, you know, so nothing ever switched up with them. And I think now I'm at a point where I really start to see from a foundational standpoint the people who were there in the beginning and then you still see the same people here now. That's when you know it was really genuine. In between then, maybe a little bit fuzzy for some people, but, you know. Hey, guys. So let me take a guess. You're enjoying the show. And if that's right, please make sure that you take a screenshot of you listening to the podcast right now and tag me at Sean R. Anthony underscore. I promise you this is going to help in amazing ways. And while you're at it, hit the five star rating and subscribe. With that being said, guys, let's get back to the show. Yeah, so you talk about like having all the success, but then going through this roller coaster. Mm-hmm. What point was it for you when you were like, you know what? Now what? Like, what do I do next in my career? Um, so first album I released uh, through Capitol Records. Um, I, I came. So how I got introduced to the label was I had put this is why I'm hot out in, independently. Uh, I did a I did a partnership with another company called Urban Box Office, um, and we took the record and charted it. So we we, we I think we brought it um, independently to like 40 on the charts. And at that time, that was unheard of. You got you got a independent musician that's you know got rec- sitting with records that are next to people like Beyonce, Justin Timberlake. Uh, I don't know if Rihanna was big at the time, but Rihanna, Chris Brown. So um, when labels got wind of it. Everybody wanted to sign me. Now, prior to that, I, I couldn't get a label door to open up to save my life. Um, and I think first album was was great because it was a learning process, learning curve. I didn't know, um, and I'm, I get we'll, we can talk about the record. This is why I'm hot um, as far as the meaning of it. But because that record is really not, it doesn't identify me. Going into recording that album, I don't feel like the album identified me. I was, I feel like I was trying to put a project together that was like half me and half what the people wanted from me um and when when i 
put this record out, the success of it, we I was, you know, I think $14 million grossed in that short amount of, amount of time with uh, Capital. My first royalty check that I ever got, actually not even a royalty check, the first check I ever got was like uh, five figures. It's crazy. Yeah. So um, so that soured my relationship with the, with the record label, and I wanted off. I wanted to leave. I didn't want to be a part of creating music for a company that I didn't feel appreciated by. And um, meanwhile, I still kind of had to go and cook up a second album. So when you have this on your mentality and then mix with the, with the fact that you already, like I said, I already felt guilty about my success in the first place, um, I think uh, going into the second album is when I started to say, what's next? Like, like something in me doesn't want to do music because this is not what I signed up for. I love music. It's a passion. It was a refuge for me. And you guys basically took this and turned it into this, you know, nonsense that that it became and, and that's when I wanted to kind of, that's when I that 09 was when I kind of wanted to make the decision of what comes next so how did you get yourself out of that situation in 09 when you were having those feelings mm-hmm. how do you go from you know being like you know what this is not for me to you know figuring out okay now I want to go be, do the business side now I want to have my own artist how did you mm-hmm. find that switch up um, so it was always there. Like I told you, when I first ori- originally started doing uh, music, I, w- I wanted to be the organizer. I wanted to yeah. be the guy behind the scenes. So my so my pa- that passion never left. Um, I think in 09, however, what I what I decided was that I wanted to take the power that I had built and I wanted to kind of cultivate new talent. Um, um, even then, one of the artists we signed at the time was Jason Derulo, um, uh, who's a really successful artist now. And then a couple of producers that, that I worked with even prior that, that became successful afterwards as well. Um, and I wanted to use the platform I had to kind of like start to help cultivate the, the talent that, yeah. that was around. Um, but unfortunately, and, and, I, and I, I'll use basketball as an analogy, there's, there's me, the player, and then there's the front office. Then there's the general managers. And when you're trying to put plays together and they don't see the vision collectively, um, you clash. And then, and then it's, you know, Carmelo Anthony yes. where, where I now I don't have a, a home or I don't, I don't want to be here and I don't want to be there. Um, so, you know, f- for me, I think uh, I, I remain touring as an artist for I still am. So I, so I was able to pay the keep the lights on and keep the bills paid and make good money doing that, and um, it just got to a point where it became it started feeling redundant, and I said to myself, if I'm not changing the system, and I'm just stuck in it, then then I'm I'm just as good as ev- everyone else, um, and I remember saying to one of my business partners now, um, I wanna I wanna be able to do something for for the culture that pushes it forward. And one of the things I started thinking about was being an entrepreneur in the, in the tech, technology space. Um, and, you know, I think officially, like as of 2011, 2012, is when I first started pursuing uh, working with uh, in the tech world, trying to pursue to get to know the VCs, put out uh, MV, like products that, uh, technology products that people could use. And that's a long story within itself. But, but I think 2012, 2011 was when I officially made that transition. Smooth transition, man. Mm-hmm. So what do you look for, like, in terms of an artist? How do you identify who's hot, who's up next? Um, I try not to. That's, that's, the, that's the hard part. It's like, uh, as an artist, I guess it's, the, it's, it's uh, and I use basketball a lot in my analogies. I love yeah. sports. Um, Michael Jordan was the greatest player, one of the greatest players of all time in comparison probably to LeBron James, which is a really huge argument. But um, is Michael, can Michael Jordan coach a team? 
you know, um, or does he need to? I mean, there's the player, so and then there's the, uh, I guess, the general manager per se. Um, Michael Jordan as a player has won many championships. Michael Jordan as a general manager barely ever makes the playoffs with his teams, and, that, and that's no disrespect at all because he's one of the greatest players of all time. So what I try to do, I try not to be. Um, I try not to get too involved with the creative side of the artist. What I try to do is just consult them about the industry and what's, what they should prepare for because that part of it never changes. The, uh, the pitfalls, the, 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 the disappointment. Um, even, even the successful part has its disappointment. So, so I think me, I'm, served, I'm better served as a person to kind of, as an extra eagle eye at working deals out for my artists or, or trying to put them, get them visibility that they wouldn't normally have um, if they if they were on their own, so. that's good. Man. And I guess having that background and, and seeing how what, what goes right with labels and seeing what goes wrong with labels has that helped shape you know how you make your decisions today. Um, yeah. So I started a technology company, um, and the basis behind the company was to kind of create music music based tech. Uh, so two things happened in that is that I become. Uh, I hate to use the word minority, but a black-owned uh, tech entrepreneur. So, so I kind of uh, uh, defeat something within myself that that most people say people can't do. Yeah. Because uh, there's not too many tech entrepreneurs out there that are minorities. And then the second thing is I can also push the culture forward by introducing new technology in the music space. And one of the things I created was an app called Creator App. Um, which allows aspiring musicians and producers to collaborate using their cell phone as like a, a, a studio and a tool, a utility tool. Um, and I think for me, um, the beauty behind something like that is that um, I'm giving, I'm democratizing the recording process using the app. So I'm giving people the ability to, to record music cheaper than they, they've ever been able to. So for those who just want to do it to have fun. Um, it's a it's a brilliant thing to me in my opinion because now you're not being jaded by, you know, and um, when you walk into like a Sam Ash and it's no disrespect to Guitar Center Sam Ash when it's ch- trying to sell you on everything that's in the store. Meanwhile, you just want to kind of you know spit a couple bars on a on a on a song or something. Um, so um, in the creation of that, I think it's taught me a lot about um, the millennials, the new generation of musicians, and uh, and that they express themselves a little bit differently from how my generation did and what I grew up on. And, and you know, just to get back to your point, that's fine with me. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't choose to interfere with that. But um, I think that I'm, I, I just give them that utility to, to get their voice out. I think that's a good utility to kind of have. So, so I got to ask you, like, the question we ask everybody that's been on this podcast. Mm-hmm. You've obviously, you know, been through a lot. You also have made a lot of successful moves. Mm-hmm. So if you're that current or that former student asking yourself, the question of the podcast, school's over, now what? What mm-hmm. advice would you give? Biggest thing I could say is power is power in numbers. Um, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a page out of a lot of other people's book, especially as it comes to this argument. Um, a lot of people in in the music industry, in the arts industry, seem to have a crab in a barrel theory. It's I gotta make it before everybody else does, or else I miss my opportunity. And I think that when you have Especially uh, young, these young millennials that are coming to a point where they're trying to figure out what it is they do. It's better when you kind of link up with a friend and say, "Hey, what do you think about this move? And what do you maybe you can help cultivate and create?" And it's power numbers. The more people you have that you can align to to, to see your vision or you see their vision, the better we are. The more successful, uh, you, the more successful you can become. 
And I'm not even trying to make this a, a black or a white thing, but it's just a real thing. The reality is that when you when you turn on the radio now, you hear a lot of pop artists with R&B music, or you know, uh, pop artists who are hip hop artists. Um, and uh, and I think that that's the difference is that when you talk about the culture now as it stands, even the music that we've created um, has been kind of I don't say taken because I because I appreciate anyone who does the arts, but but we don't have ownership and even that part of it. Um, one of the one of the craziest realizations for me, even as a tech entrepreneur, is is just to get the support from is to get the support from the black community. You know, um, and I always I always position it to people like this. Um, I have a music-based tech application, right? So within my application, usually what I do is um, I allow for artists to kind of give us unreleased music. And with this unreleased music, we, we tend to do contests with it and such. And you know how many artists I've approached with the opportunity to say, hey, just to help build the platform, why don't you help us out? And the next question is, well, what do I get from it? Um, and I think, though, people don't realize what you get from it is you get a black-owned entrepreneur who, you know, a black Mark Zuckerberg or, uh, you know, a black Steve Jobs. I'm not, you know, it doesn't have to be obviously a racial thing, but my point to say is that we don't have enough support within each other to help uplift each other. So I'm, I'm going to get into something even realer than that. Um, I used to ponder Right yeah. when I drive through neighborhoods, because because uh, I grew up I grew up in Washington Heights, New York, which was growing up pretty bad area. Then I moved to Long Island, moved to a place called Westbury, and I attribute Westbury to kind of opening my palate to to seeing more that's out there, because um, I would actually see middle class black people who own homes with grass and stuff like that, and I never knew that existed. Kid you not. Um, so what I say is. When I got to that point of going to Long Island, it introduced me to a different class of people and a different class of thinking. Um, but then I said to myself, well, damn, why I've been all around the world, and even in, even in the brink of my success, the first thing I want to do is move out of my community. The first thing I want to do is go buy a house in a rich white neighborhood yeah. and put my money there and, and uh, because in my mind that's my safety that's me building safety and in most cases it is you don't I mean you can't be and it's sad to say you can't be a black man now and stay in the hood yeah. because there's casualties to that to that and jealousy and envy and I think that that creates a problem this is obviously bigger than music for me um, where yeah. We don't support each other enough, so we don't have the opportunity to build our own neighborhoods. We don't have the opportunities to, uh, to, to, to you know, have black-owned businesses that we help fund and start up. Um, oddly enough, I was watching a Netflix uh, show with, with Killer Mike. Yeah. And uh, he, he did the statistics on how, how long a dollar stays in our own communities. And this was this really mind-blowing. I mean, because I already knew it, but to see the actual numbers where I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, I don't I guess I'm a paraphrase on this, but more or less, he said that uh, you know, uh, Jewish community, the dollar will stay there for for a few days. I think like twenty something days or something like that. Uh, you know, Asian community, same thing, a few uh, days. Mm-hmm. And he said that the dollar in the black community lasts hours, six hours. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, so so we talk about the system, and we talk about you know a lot of these things that that that, but what we don't really talk about is our support for one another and how how we. Su- supposed to be here to support one another um so now what i do in my life is i challenge that i challenge that when i walk into record labels i'm looking at my fellow colleagues saying you know 
what are you doing to help push the culture forward? Because if you just sitting here robbing people and robbing artists, then you just as good as anybody that that robbed me. Um, and I get it. There's, you know, everybody wants to eat is what they usually yeah. say. Um, but 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 you know, I pride myself in not wanting to eat off the back of somebody else's success. I'd rather eat off the back of my own success and then help try to help other people cultivate theirs. So. This year, 2019 and on, I'm challenging everybody to, to have that same mentality moving forward. That's a hell of a mentality to have, too, man. Mm-hmm. You know, what's crazy about it is, you know, even for me, I can relate so much to what you're saying. You know, being in a whole podcast, just arena as a black young man, is something you rarely see. Yeah. And so a lot of people that give me the most support come from so many different communities rather than my own community. So I 100% agree with you on that, man. And I think as a culture, it's going to take each other to kind of say, you know what, I got your back. I support what you're doing. I'm here for you. Because at the end of the day, if we don't support each other, we truly have nothing, man. Absolutely. And, 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 and I mean, to even make it a, a bigger point, you know, the reason why we move to these neighborhoods and pay more taxes for safety and stuff like that uh, is because we we not, I mean, you know, we don't teach the youth enough to say, look, man, when you go and violence, like gang violence, things of that nature, and you go and you kill your brother you, and you bring down the value of your neighborhood, more or less, because that's essentially what you're doing, um, you're, you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting your community. So now, now what happens is people... Like I said, they want to move out. They want to go elsewhere. They, they don't want to put their money in it. Um, and we and that's that's to me the number one thing that that if you ask me like what's my mission now in life, I want to change that. I want for hopefully one day to wake up and say, man, I, I was a part of building this community up, or you know, I was a part of kind of helping and assisting people to understand that we need to support each other. So. Without a doubt, bro. 100% appreciate you, man. Yeah. So, like, if somebody want to get in touch with you right now, like, what's the best way to find you? Like, give, give the people your information, all that info. I'm the biggest ghost, man. I, I'm, like, I'm so I'm so far removed from social media, but I do have a, a Instagram, uh, Mims Life, uh, at Mims Life on Instagram, uh, Twitter, at Mims Life, and uh, I think I have a Facebook. I'm not sure, but for the most part, if you want to get a hold of me, creator.app, that's the uh, app that I built. Uh, you could even email me at mims that created that app. I hide nowhere. I'm trying to obviously give as many much opportunity as I can can give, um, and uh, go check the app out and support it. Always, man. If you're listening right now, guys, always remember: dream it, believe it, go out and get it. Yo, what you think? I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I want to know what you learned. So if you want to mind, would you take a screenshot of you listening to the podcast on your phone right now? Upload to your Instagram stories, tag me at Sean R. Anthony underscore, and then let me know in that Instagram story what is one thing that you learned. I love hearing from you, my listeners, thought leaders, former or current students all around the world. Let me know. And while you're doing this, go inside the podcast app, subscribe, leave a five-star review and a five-star rating. Again, this helps us reach more people. And if you want to be a part of this mission, helping us change the world one person at a time, it makes a massive difference by you leaving a review. Thanks so much. I'll see you next week. And remember, dream it, believe it, go out and get it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.